Welcome to Awaken Church Online. In this fifth message in our series exploring the many facets of identity, Pastor Dean Yoder explains why it is important to be a follower of Jesus for who he is, not just for what he does. We've been talking about identity and kind of what identity means to us and our passion when it comes to identity. Don't tell Dennis, but I actually kind of hope my dogs are in heaven with me. I know he made a big deal about the animals and stuff like that, but I kind of, oh, he's right there. And then Mike kind of got me paranoid about my driver's license height and weight. Gotten a lot from these messages, just so you know. No, just, just joking. All right, so let's put up the first quote. I, I pulled a quote, and it's from the Bible, from Acts 19. You can go to Acts 19 if you want to. You can go to John 6 and Matthew. We've got kind of a ton of stories this morning of scriptures that we're going to go to. We're going to start with this one, and it says, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I am acquainted with, but you, who are you? Now, that's from Acts 19.15, and I want to remind you of who's saying that, and it's an evil spirit. An evil spirit says, but you, who are you? And in my mind, if an evil spirit is asking me about my identity, that should up the game a little bit to how important would it be for me to know who I actually am. If the enemy knows this and wants to pull this on you, how prepared should I be to be able to give an answer to who I am? We're going to read the story in just a second, and I'm glad I didn't speak on my super passion is exactly what Lily said this morning, creating the image of God. That's, my, that's where I really, I just, I could talk about that all the time. It might be the same thing over and over again, but I, I could talk about that a lot. But what I want to talk about this morning is being known as a disciple. I want to be known as a follower and not just part of the following, okay? Because there's those who, uh, there are those who know about Jesus, yet they don't actually know him. There's, there's people that believe he existed, they believe that he lived and he died on this earth, but they don't believe in him as the way, the truth, and the life. And people can be part of a following who are fans of Jesus' works, they're, but they're more impressed with the product instead of the producer. That makes sense. They're more into like what has actually show me. Give me a sign. Show me something. They do, they want to see something, and instead, those the signs are supposed to point you to the producer. And so we're going to read Acts nineteen eleven through seventeen, and uh, it says that God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that. Handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also, some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had the evil spirit, saying, I order you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Now, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest doing this. But the evil spirit responded and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know of Paul, but who 
are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit pounced, who, and the man in whom was the evil spirit pounced on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Now, I'm not sure about you, but my experience in witnessing people who come running out of houses naked into the street frantic about evil spirits is that whatever just happened inside is the beginning of their problems. <laughs> like, usually um, they attract about five police officers, and the police officers don't hesitate or wait to hear their story until the person's, you know, in flex cuffs and detained. Right? So these people ha- have found themselves in a bad situation. Um, they've, they're, they're out doing, like, this is something we do here, so I, I'm just trying to get you to relate. They're out doing house blessings and cleansings, and they decide to employ a new ministry tactic that they have heard about this guy named Paul doing. And it's simple. He's supposed to just use the name of Jesus, and poof, no demons. No evil spirits. But that's not what happened for them. Here's what happened. (laughs) Here's what I think happened. The story helps explain the answer. In verse 13, those boys said to the evil spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. So the first problem is that they didn't know Jesus themselves. That's the first problem. They didn't know Jesus themselves. They didn't know Jesus, and so Jesus really didn't know them. See, we have authority in Jesus' name, and there's power in his name. And, and I believe that when you call out on the name of Jesus, I even believe that if you, if you didn't know Jesus and you call out his name from your heart and you're asking in desperation or you're, you're really sincerely trying to reach out to Jesus, he will respond. Okay, I really I, I believe that. I'm not trying to say that calling out on the name of Jesus doesn't work if you don't know him completely. But there's sometimes it seems quite obvious to me that you have to be in Jesus in order to operate in Jesus' name. You have to be within him already to exercise the authority that he gives you. See, because... The, sec- the second problem I see is because they didn't know Jesus, they really didn't know who they were. See, it's Jesus who tells us who we really are. And these guys, what I think we're doing, they're substituting technique to exercise authority that you can only get from a relationship. You can't just follow the form and get empowered by saying, if I say the name of Jesus, this is just going to help. This is going to do it. You have to. This has to be a relationship thing. The, the way you get authority in Jesus' name is to be in Jesus. It's to know Him. And I remember as a kid, a pretty little kid too, that I was helping my dad wash his truck. Now we were in. I grew up in Sheridan. And we were at the lower grain elevator, for those of you who are familiar with that, which is pretty close to the auto parts store. It's not too far away. But he was washing the trailers with a brush, and the head of the brush broke. And he looked at me, 
And he gave me the brush, and he said, I want you to go to Davison Auto Parts, which it was so long ago that Dan wasn't even alive. <laughs> I want you to go to Davison Auto Parts and get me a new brush head. And I was like, well, how do I do that? How do I pay that? Just put it on my account, he said. And so I went to Davidson Auto Parts, and I walked up to the counter, and I gave him this brush head, and I said, I need a new one of these. And they said, how do you want to pay for it? And, and you know, we're a small town house, but I said, put it on my dad's account. And I got a brush head. As far as, like, I know my dad has never given permission to people outside of the family to use his account, but because I knew my dad and, and he knew me, I had authority. I, I had authority that he'd given me permission to use, and I had confidence because I, I knew how, who I was. I was his son. And so I had this authority to purchase things, and on, you know, on another piece, I never abused that authority. You know, I didn't, I only did what the Father told me to do. I was just like Jesus. <laughs> uh, in this case, that is. Okay. All right. Okay. We won't tell other stories today. But there is authority and confidence that comes out from you having permission and a relationship with the Father. And you know who you are, and you can, you can walk up to something and say, I'm doing this in the name of that person. That's basically what I was doing at the counter. and saying, I'm buying this brush head in, in, in Ken Yoder's name. And I got it. Here's what I think the most dangerous part about the seven sons of Sceva. Sorry, we need to drink water before we say that one again. Here's what I think the most dangerous part of the story is and why they got their tails handed to them is when they were asked who they were, they didn't have an answer. Now, it might have been left out of the story, but they didn't have an answer as to who they were. They probably weren't used to answering evil spirits that were asking them who they were. And I say, when you don't have an answer for who you are, you certainly don't have authority to fight demons. But you certainly reveal that you also don't have a relationship with the one who has authority to bring action to your words. You remember in the, in the beginning of the story, it says, God was healing by Paul. That's like, God was doing this. So if you don't have a relationship with the Father, if you don't have a relationship with the Son, you can't operate in their name with authority and confidence. You're just winging it. You're just throwing something out there. And being able to answer the question of who you are in Christ also answers the question that you know whose you are. I know that I'm a son, and I know that he is my Father. I know whose I am. I knew at that counter, that my last name was Yoder, and my dad's first name was Ken, and that I was his son. I knew I had authority. When you can't answer those questions, there's three things that I put down that can happen. You're likely to fall away, fall down, 
or have a falling out. And Jesus needs followers, not a following. He needs disciples that when the going gets tough, the tough don't fall away. Because I wrote here, um, crowds are fickle, but followers are faithful. See, in Matthew 4, I'm going to turn to Matthew 4, 18 through 23, it's, or through 25, I believe. It says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, cast in a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it says, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. It says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and Jerusalem, and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Now, all this stuff that happened is really... How's it going over here? You like it? Are you feel like you're in spiritual warfare battle? You're just going ahead. You're just enjoying yourself. Great. All right. Now, all, the, all these people, all these things that were happening were great. That, that, this is what happens when the kingdom comes. People should get healed. Uh, um, I say if the enemy comes to kill, still and destroy, the, that Jesus comes to heal, fill, and restore. So those are the things that happen when the kingdom comes. And I think it's great, and it should attract a crowd. There's no doubt in my mind that like, if, if I saw people and heard people were getting healed um, every week or everywhere that this guy went, that I would be attracted to that. But in this passage, I see two things. I see, I see followers and a following. And Jesus had specifically called out to these two sets of brothers, and it says, immediately they left their nets. Immediately they left their, their boats. Immediately they left their father. I'm kind of wondering, like, just thinking about it is like, I wonder why the father didn't follow either. I wonder if he was really just speaking to those two or if he was speaking to all three. I mean, that, that, it doesn't say, and it makes it sound like he was talking to the two brothers. So that's probably really what it was. But the father didn't, like, jump out of the boat and go help. Too. He didn't go and follow Jesus either. It's like, I wonder if he made a decision. It's just a thought. But immediately it says, these brothers, these, these boys, these two sets of brothers, just said yes. Immediately. They don't know him. They hadn't seen him before. I don't know if he'd done anything else that made them know about him. But when he called out to them and said, follow me, immediately, they said yes. They followed him. And, and, and I see followers immediately respond to Jesus for who he is and not just for what he does. They just say Yes. So, so Jesus is trending, Jesus is popular, he's doing miracles, uh, the following shows up everywhere you go, the crowd would follow him, and um, 
Everywhere he went, he couldn't lose the crowd. And he's getting quite a following. He's bringing the gospel of the kingdom. Great things are happening. Healings, signs, wonders, miracles. But crowds are fickle. And as much as Jesus has attracted, attracted a crowd, he is also pretty good at, uh, at losing a crowd. And, and this is kind of say where the rubber meets the road. And I say, are you a follower or, or a disciple or are you just part of the following? Do you follow Jesus because of who he is and just, and just what he's doing? Do you follow Jesus because who he is and not just what he's doing? That's what. Because if we read in John 5, 6 through 6, 52 through 58, we read this story coming up about Jesus and how he lost his following. He said some really unpopular things. You might be familiar with it. It said, Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because Jesus had just told them a little bit before. He said, To have eternal life, you have to eat my flesh. Okay. Um, so, so then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, the one who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. And I read that whole part just now so that you could hear how many times Jesus said to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And I think the disciples had to be going there, okay, one time was enough, Jesus. This is getting weird. Okay, and we haven't even heard this one before. Can you, maybe, maybe they have. But like, okay, you don't need to keep repeating yourself, Jesus. You're making everybody uncomfortable. Making everybody uncomfortable with this teaching. And he wasn't just saying like, he wasn't saying, well, it's like you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. No, it's, the way it's written is that he said you have to do this. And what it said, it said, so many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this statement is very unpleasant. <laughs> Who can listen to it? And in 66, it says, as a result of this, many of his disciples left and would no longer walk with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to leave also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life, and we have already believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he, now he met Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Peter says, we can't leave now. This must be, might be the most uncomfortable thing you've ever said, Jesus. We can't leave now because we know who you really are. We know that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it was revealed to them, Jesus said in another passage, by the Father in heaven. 
And Jesus wants to build his church upon not just a following, not just signs and wonders, but upon the revelation to you that nobody can take away, even if they're saying that now you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, that, that Jesus is the living Christ, the Son of God. Peter knew who he was. The disciples, those, those few that held on, knew who Jesus was. He's saying, we follow you because of who you are, not just what you're doing. But the following fell away. They had a falling out. Some of them, it was because it was such an unpleasant teaching. So, here's where I'm trying to go with this today. Um, there's been a huge falling away in our country of people for professing to be Christian. I have a little bit of data here from um, the, a Pew, it's called Pew Research, and Carrie Newoff quotes that the drop in Americans identifying as Christians is as surprising as it is sharp. In the early 1990s, over 90% of U.S. adults identified as Christians. Today, only 63% do. The number professing no religion has spiked from 6% to 29%. The nuns few surprise, will likely be the majority within 50 years. Now that's, that's not, that doesn't sound like positive data. You know, that doesn't sound exciting for us. But, um, you know, like they said, if the trend continues that way, then, then the, the people who don't profess to be Christians in America will outnumber those who do. And um, I, I do think that's not the best news, but I also think it's not the worst news. And here's what I think. I think there's a silver lining in this. I think we have opportunity in this. Because one of the things I wonder is, like, I wonder how many of those who profess to be Christian believe themselves to be Christian because that was the dominant religion in America. Right? They were cultural Christians. Like, we're Christian nation. We're just a Christian nation. So I guess I'm Christian. I believe in God. I'm Christian. And and I wonder how many Americans there are now that came from different places that culturally wasn't Christianity. All right? So we, a huge influx of different people from different countries with different religions. And if any of these two things are true, then there is a huge opportunity for people to experience the real essence of Christianity and that is the kingdom of God coming in power and authority. The gospel of the kingdom heals the sick, raises the dead, and delivers people from evil. And that's what real Christianity has, has to offer. Real Christianity, is, real Christianity is following Jesus in all that he has to offer. Even us following him in that hard teaching of into his death and resurrection is actually what brings us eternal life. The kingdom of God at work through people who know who they are can attract a crowd and probably should in some ways, but 
but, but discipleship has its ways of identifying those who are following Jesus for who he is and not just what he's doing. I wasn't sure how to close this out because I know that this church and you are serious about the kingdom of God. The numbers and the things that we see out there make it sound like everybody's leaving church and, and nobody's a believer anymore, but this is an opportunity to find out who we really are. This, this opportunity, as we start engaging more of who we are and having an answer for that, we don't end up in the street naked. The demons flee. The, the dead are raised. Life is, is given. And my identity to be known as a disciple of Jesus is a desire to be part to be a follower, but not to be part of the following. We may have to go through some hard stuff. There might be some hard stuff. There might be some difficult things. There might be misunderstandings of who we really are and what we really represent. And But this might be an opportunity to get our story straight with the rest of the world. Thank you for joining us today on Awaken Church Online. To learn more about the church, visit our website, awakenchurchmac.com. 